on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to test you, Jesus, because I love this. But anyway, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But what is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. <laughs> Anyone ever heard that story before? You familiar with that? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those stories. Can we talk about Google Maps for a minute? Let's talk about Google Maps. I love Google Maps. Does anybody else love Google Maps? Does anybody else play on Google Maps? Because who doesn't love to see satellite imagery of your own house or like the other places where you live. Have you done this? Yes, because yes. Google Maps is pretty awesome. Uh, like you, you can go almost to literally any place on Earth and get a satellite image, image of that place. You can look at the Eiffel Tower. You, look, you can look at the, the pyramids in Egypt. You can look at the Grand Canyon. You can look at your own house. You can zoom in. You can zoom out. It's so cool. You can type in an address or a place you're searching for, and you like fly like Superman over the place, and you can look down upon it. And then you can zoom in, and you can see individual people, you can see houses, you can see cars. In fact, here's a little fun factoid for you. If you, if you look up our old address over there, 200 Airport Road, uh, what we call the launch pad before we moved here, uh, you can even see an image of me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm making a fake phone call outside our address because I'm sitting in the office and I see the little Google truck with the camera on top driving around. And I'm like, I'm gonna get myself on Google Maps. <laughs> and so I was like pretending to have my knee up on my anyway. You can search for it and you can see me. You have to zoom in, but but I'm there. If you want, I'll show you afterwards. Uh, anyway, you can you can zoom in and you're thinking of ways to do this right now. Right? And, and, and for anyway. So, and, and I'm courteous too. Let's <laughs> take a few moments. If you want to, if you want to look it up, you can be found it. So anyway, I'm on Google Maps. Um, so, so if you, you can zoom in and you can see all that, or you can 
zoom out, you can see, like if you zoom out over Ames, you can see the grid that makes up the streets. You can see Iowa State's campus right in the middle. You can see how different neighborhoods sort of relate to one another and connect with one another or don't connect very well at all with other neighborhoods. Uh, it's really, it's really almost, if you, if you look at the city of Des Moines or Ames or even any small town Iowa, it almost looks like a piece of artwork from above. In, in some ways, it really is. It's a, it's, they're like little masterpieces uh, created by, uh, by the ingenuity and blood, sweat, and tears of, of ordinary people doing some pretty amazing things. Well, why are we talking about Google Maps? Well, Google Maps, I think, uh, provides for us a, sort of a, a way for us to think about looking at scriptures. Like sometimes it's really good for us to zoom into these stories and sort of notice all the details and see all the different things uh, that we can see like down on street level and it's very informative and sometimes sometimes it's good to sort of take a, a bird's eye view of things and see how does this whole story sort of relate in itself and how then how does it fit within the book and then how does this book fit within the whole scripture so. It's really interesting, it becomes a good metaphor for us in looking at scriptures, like our story this morning, the story of, of the Good Samaritan. It's a, it's a famous story. It's a, it's a powerful story. Some people have called it the most powerful and brilliant short story ever written and ever told. The term Good Samaritan is well known. We hear it all the time. They even say it on the news. It's become synonymous with somebody who... Uh, who sees somebody else in need and offers help and offers what they need. You can hear, like, they'll say it on the news. Everyone knows what a good Samaritan is. You can read it in stories uh, on the interwebs. Most everybody knows the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know this story. We know this story on street level. We've been in it. We've walked around in it. And we have this sense that we're familiar with it. And so then when we hear it again, we think that there's we think that we know everything there is to know about this story. So this morning I'd like to I'd like to sort of go up a little bit. We'll get to street level later at the end. I'm gonna throw a bunch of stuff at you all at once. It'd be like a fire hose, which would be fun. But before we get there, let's uh, let's sort of get a bird's eye view of the story and see and see the story of the Good Samaritan, how does it fit within the context of this conversation that Jesus is having with this lawyer, this expert in the law, and see if maybe we look at their little interaction between each other, and we might be able to sort of see what kinds of realities is Jesus trying to tease out of this man, trying to get him to understand. Okay, so, this expert in the law, he walks up to Jesus, and he asks him the question that all human beings at some time or another will ask. All human beings will sort of ponder this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when, a word about this real quick. When we think about this, this eternal life thing, where do we think? What do we think immediately? Heaven, right? We think of, how do I get to heaven, Jesus? That's not what he's asking here. What he's asking is, how do I experience the life now? How do I experience life for the ages, which is another way for us to sort of understand how that, how that gets translated. How do I experience life the way God intended life to be experienced and lived now? 
how do I experience the most fulfilling kind of life here, now, presently, right now? So let's get the heaven thing out of our brains and think about how do we experience this life right here, right now. And Jesus, knowing that this guy is a lawyer who's really smart, he's probably got the scriptures memorized, he's got Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. And since he knows that he's a lawyer and he's used to asking questions to get answers, Jesus is like, I'm going to ask him a question. I'm going to get him to think about it. And so he's like, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? How do you read the law? And the guy replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, that's pretty good. You're a smart guy. You've answered well. Now, go do it. Now, go do it. You know what the scriptures say. You know what the law teaches. You know what the Bible reveals about God and the ways in which we ought to behave and live in the world. Now, go. Do it. It's so simple, right? But in the context of this of this conversation is so simple. What we know about God must be connected with the ways in which we live our lives. So this life now is more than just life after death question. It's more, so this life now is more than just what we know about God. It's more than just memory verses. It's more than, than creeds. It's more than confessions. It's more than, than doctrines or formulations. It's more than principles. It's more than propositions. We can't reduce life with God to just what we know and what we know about God. It involves much, much more than that. More than our brain cells. It's skin and bone and flesh and blood and eyes and nose and ears and hands and feet. It's bodily. It's enfleshed. So this life has to be lived into intentionally <laughs> right now. Jesus is saying that it's not enough just to know God in the scriptures. It's not just enough to know and learn about God. It must be lived here and now. So God doesn't give us God's word just so that we know more about him. He wants us to participate in it, to be transformed by it. In other words, the word read has to become the word lived, or it's not worth anything at all. The word read, not the word read, R-E-D, the word read, and read the word, must become the word lived, or it's not worth anything. It's just not worth, well, what are we doing here? James, he says it later in his letter, he says, faith without works is dead. Right? That's pretty, that's pretty harsh words right there. He doesn't say faith without works is just kind of so-so. He doesn't say faith without works is man. He doesn't say faith without works is, is you know, could be more or... He says faith without works is just dead. It's dead. Which is another way of saying it's not worth it. Faith without works is just dead. So the word read must become the word lived or it's not worth anything at all. Let me give you an example. So when Samuel, hi Samuel, I asked him if I could tell this story. He said yes. His favorite book when he was about five years old was this book right here, Road Builders. Right? It's all about how construction workers get together 
and they build a road. It's a really exciting book. He loved this book. In fact, we read this book to him so much that he had the entire thing memorized. We could start the book. In fact, in many times we would do this. We'd be in the van and we would start the book from memory because we had it memorized too. And then he would just recite the thing from the back. And we would read the book to him before bed and he would read it along with us even though he couldn't read because he had the thing memorized. It was amazing. Let me give you a sense for what this was like for a little four or five year old because it's awesome. He would, he would do this from memory. It takes many kinds of trucks to build a road. Pickup trucks, cement mixers, bulldozers, dump trucks, backhoes, graders, crane trucks, power shovels, front loaders, pavers, power rollers, striper trucks, and cherry picker trucks. But here are Buddy, John, Ed, Frank, Joe, Jesse, and Chuck. They're all going to build a road. Okay, could you memorize that? <laughs> Every single word, right? But it was more than just memorizing a book for him. It was much, much more than just knowing the story. It became, he actually lived this book. It, it was more than just a, just a sort of a, fa a fun trick we could have him do, like when we would visit family, or when we would go sleeping, like, check this out. It was more than that. Like, he actually lived this book. I'm not kidding you when I say he actually lived this book. It transformed him. Uh-huh. Like, we would be on trips from Michigan to visit family in Iowa, and we would come up on, on road construction. You know how road construction, you're like, oh, it's such a pain in the neck, it slows everything down. Who got for us? Celebration time. <laughs> Look, Samuel, there's a crane. Look, Samuel, there's a dump truck. And you'd be like, yeah, there's a paper, and there's Buddy's truck. Buddy was the boss in the book. So he would, oh, he'd like lived into this story, and then we had to buy all these little road building miniature things, and he would play on the floor, and he would build roads according to this story. That he lived this book. He let it transform him. Jesus is saying to the lawyer, you have to live this book. It's not enough to just know it. You have to live it. Now go do it, he says. What we read about God, what we learn about God, must be connected with the way we live our lives. It must be lived. The word read must be become the word lived, or it's worth nothing. It's one thing to say, love God, love your neighbor. It's another thing to do it. It's another thing to to put this love God, love neighbor thing, to put flesh on it, to put skin and bones and, and flesh and blood and hands and feet and eyes and nose and ears, right? It's, you've got to live it, Jesus is saying. So, as we survey the landscape of this story, he's like, you know it, now go do it. I want us to notice another thing. Like, this whole thing starts out very personal, like, like this guy is, He's wanting to justify himself. He's wanting to make sure that he's good, right? And so it's sort of very personal. But how Jesus sort of steers the conversation, he steers it more toward the, the communal, prompting the lawyer to ask the question, well, if I'm supposed to do this, then, then who's, who's my neighbor? Again, he's trying to make himself feel good about his own life. And Jesus is starting to get this brainy lawyer. Now he's, now he's about to challenge him. 
He's about to, to get him to think and act no longer only about himself, but wider than himself. And it's even deeper than that. He wants him to think not only about himself and not only about his little tribe, he's trying to get him to expand his thinking about who his neighbor is to include other people, people outside of his tribe, people who think and act very differently than he does. Because Jesus is telling him that when you step into a life with God, everything changes. Your life is no longer a for-yourself kind of a life. Your life is now lived primarily for others, for God and for others. So what is this kind of life living for God and for others look like? Who is my neighbor? Jesus responds by telling him what this for others kind of life looks like, by telling him the story of the Good Samaritan, right? which is such a profound story. So there's this guy walking down the road. He's Joe White. It's a very, very bad people. Right? They rob him. They beat him. They strip him. They leave him on the side of the road to bleed to death. So, priest and a Levite come along. In the story, two dudes exactly like the story, like the lawyer in the story that we read. They too have the law, the scripture, Torah, memorized, just like the lawyer, the expert in the law in the story. They take a look at the bloody stranger and they walk on by. Just knowing isn't enough for them is enough for them. Doing is out of the question. But I think there's also something more going on here. Perhaps they are living their lives according to who they believe God is. Perhaps they are living their lives according to what they believe the scriptures say. And perhaps Jesus is trying to get them to rethink their thoughts about who God is. Perhaps Jesus is now challenging the way that they actually read the scriptures and the conclusions that they come to. Because now comes a Samaritan. <laughs> nope. Don't go there, Jesus. This a half-breed? Nope. You can't don't go there, Jesus. Uh-uh. Because we don't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans, they're, they're the nut. They're the bottom. They're the, they're the worst. Jesus goes there. Here comes the Samaritan. He sees the man, takes pity on him, binds up his wounds, puts him on a donkey, and walks him into town. Gets a room at the local hotel, takes care of him, bandages him up, makes sure he's on the road to healing. He has to leave for a little while. He gives the concierge some money. He says, take care of this guy. And if there's any extra expense when I get back, I will make sure that I cover that as well. So this now, not only is he being gracious and compassionate and loving, this is costing him dearly. He's spending his hard-earned cash money on this. It's costing him something. Now that right there is gospel. That right there is good news. That right there is the Bible, the scriptures, our understanding about who God is and who God has called us to be with flesh and blood on it. Right there. A life lived for others. So what does this mean about, what does this mean for us? You know, oftentimes we like to, 
We like to sensationalize this story. And when we hear stories on the news where they actually use the phrase of Good Samaritan, it's because somebody has done something extraordinary to help somebody else who is in need. So oftentimes we like to sensationalize this. So sometimes we look at this story and we think to ourselves, well, you know, now I have to go out. If I want to follow Jesus, I have to go out and find out all the homeless people who are really down on their luck. I have to give them all my money and make sure they have a place to stay. And I have to help them out. We could sensationalize it like that. But let's also recognize that this is just an ordinary dude on an ordinary walk, on an ordinary day. And he comes up upon a man who's in need bloody on the side of the road, and he decides to live his life for others. This is just an ordinary guy going throughout his ordinary day, just helping others. It just happens naturally for him. This is you and me at the fresh produce section in IV, and we bump up against someone who's needing something. This is you and me on a walk with our spouse or a friend through a neighborhood, and you find somebody who is in need, and you help somebody. This is you and me playing with our kids or our grandkids in the park. This is you and me in the classroom at school. This is you and me wherever we happen to be in every moment of every day. So we could sensationalize this story, or we could just recognize it for what it is. It's ordinary, it's local, it's personal, and yet deeply relational. It's a story about an ordinary guy living his ordinary life for others, not for himself, thinking beyond himself, even beyond his tribe, in order to do what needs to be done to help someone. So it could be our story too. It's your story and my story, but only if we let it. Okay? So the word read has to become the word lived, or it isn't worth nothing. We're wasting our time here. It has to become and this kind of life is now moving beyond ourselves and beyond our little tribes. It's living our lives for others in intentional ways. So that's sort of what it looks like if, if we hover over the city of the story. Should we zoom down to street level and talk about this for a while? Could this, this degenerate all sorts of conversation that will last a whole long time? We don't have time. So you take what I'm about to give you, and then talk about it at lunch. Okay. So let's zoom down to street level and notice some of the details in the story about what this living for others kind of life actually looks like. So I'm throw a lot at you, real quick. So we zoom in, and we see that Jesus breaks down the barrier between Jew and Samaritan, thus breaking down all the artificial barriers that we set up to separate people, to oppress people, to enslave people, to keep people in boxes or cages, literally and figuratively. He breaks all of that stuff down with this one story. Zoom in and we find that this for others kind of life means that we, we live a life filled with compassion and mercy. In fact, that's our go-to. In fact, that's what we lead with. We lead with compassion. We lead with grace. We lead with mercy. We lead with trying to heal people's lives. That's what we lead 
with. And if we're not leading with compassion and grace and mercy, if we're not leading with that because of what we think the scriptures reveal about God, if we're not leading with compassion and grace and mercy because we we because of the ways that we read scripture, then perhaps it's time for us to re-examine how we read the scriptures. And perhaps it's time we re-examine what we actually believe about God, leading with compassion and grace and mercy ought to be the way things are. It's this living life for others. Zoom in and we see that being a follower of Jesus is really hard. And if we're doing it right, it's going to cost us something. Like we are going to pay a price. Literally, it will cost us something. We zoom into this story, we see a call for social justice, we see a call for equality of all people, Jews, Samaritan, what is happening here? Someone once said that if the very same Samaritan will walk down the very same road the next day and find another person bloodied by the side of the road, it would be his duty not only to bind up that person's wounds and get him on the road to recovery and healing, but it would also be his duty to march himself down to the local police station probably City Hall, and demand that something be done about that stretch of road. Are you with me now? Right? So, demands all kinds of stuff. So maybe you can zoom in and you can find other things. The point is still the same. This story about living a full kind of life right now, the kind of life that, that God wants us to experience now, right, means that the word read must become the word lived, or it's not worth anything at all. And if the word lived looks like the, the priest and the Levite there, then maybe we need to re-examine how we read the word and understand things about God. And if we're not leading with compassion, maybe we need to call into question some of our own beliefs and ways in which we read the scriptures. Right? So this can be your story. It can be my story, but only if we let it. Will you let it? We're about to go to the table. We're about to celebrate communion. We're about to think about the story where Jesus gave up his life. He lived his life for others. And he demonstrated it time and time and time again, not just on the cross, but read all of the stories about him in the Bible. And you will notice that he lived the four others kind of life every minute, every moment of every single day. And now we come to the bread, and now we come to the cup, and we think about Jesus in the most extraordinary act of selfless love, giving up his life on the cross so that we might actually see what love looks like. Let's pray. God, we're grateful. We give you thanks. In all times and in all places, you are almighty and everlasting God. You've shown us the fullness of your love by sending into the world the eternal word made flesh for us and for our salvation and for 
the precious gift of Jesus. We give thanks to you, O oh God. We recognize in this supper the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross once for the sin of the whole world. And again, for that gift, we praise and bless you, O oh God. Um, may the bread which we break and the cup which we bless, may it be to us the communion of the body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus, on the same night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks for it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. And then, after they had eaten, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant, the new testament in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so. And remember me. The gifts of God for the people of God. Come.